Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. So it's about 5.45 a.m. We're standing on the Manhattan side of the Brooklyn Bridge, just, just right on the entrance of the bridge. And any minute, we're expecting a convoy of NYPD cars, federal agents, armored vehicles, a tactical team to come across the bridge. They've just shut down traffic. And all of this is for one guy, El Chapo Guzman, the head of the Sinaloa cartel. He's at a maximum security federal jail just right over there. We can see the building from here. It's just a nondescript brick building, but they call it Little Gitmo because it's where they hold terrorism suspects. Chapo has escaped twice from maximum security prisons. So now that they have to transport him from the jail to court every day that he has a hearing, they're not taking any chances. They're, they're pulling out all the stops to make sure that this security is as tight as it can be. And if somehow, some way, he's going to try an escape attempt, this is the moment that it's going to happen. And so they're taking all of these precautions. I've heard from one of my sources that they put him inside this thing that's been described to me as like an egg-like coffin. And the point of that is if there were to be an attack on his convoy, like people were shooting at it or the bombing, that this, this thing would protect him and he would survive that and be able to stand trial. It's pretty nuts. Uh, and every time he goes to court, they go through this whole song and dance just to bring him across the Brooklyn Bridge. Oh, and here it comes. Uh, we've got black SUVs with the lights on, a van, armored NYPD trucks, an ambulance, tons of cop cars. There he goes. That was it. makes a living mockery of America's war on drugs. He is Joaquin El Chapo Guzman, also known as El Chapo, the short one. Chapo Guzman is like the Osama bin Laden of drug trafficking. Heads the ultra-violent, ultra-lucrative Sinaloa drug cartel. So Richie made the Forbes magazine billionaires list using boats, submarines, airplanes, marijuana, cocaine, heroin, meth, thought to be responsible for a quarter of the drugs here in the U.S. He escaped from a maximum security prison for the second time. El Chapo Guzman es como Dios. El Chapo Guzman, he's like a god. Tens of thousands have died in the U.S. and Mexico because of him. And tonight at 10, we are tracking a big development. Mexican drug kingpin has been extradited to the U.S. to face charges for his role as the head of the cartel. I'm Keegan Hamilton, and this is Chapo. At this point, Chapo is arguably the most notorious drug dealer in the world. Like, it's El Chapo and then Pablo Escobar. And his fame is only growing. 
Last year, he was extradited from Mexico to New York to stand trial on a 17-count indictment for drug smuggling, money laundering, and leading Mexico's most powerful drug trafficking organization, the Sinaloa Cartel. This could be the last chapter in El Chapo's legend. He faces life in prison if he's convicted. I've seen Chapo in the courtroom. He's about five foot seven, my height actually. Hence the nickname, Chapo. It means shorty. He's in his 60s and he's got this jet black hair, but he's missing the signature Tom Selleck mustache you always see in his pictures. His beauty queen wife is often in the gallery. And whenever she is, he spends the whole time during the hearing just looking over at her. The prosecutors are basically saying this one guy is responsible for the last 30 years of the drug war. It's never just one guy. I've been following the drug trade for more than a decade. I started out covering it for a newspaper in St. Louis, writing about cocaine dealers and meth labs. And one of the craziest parts of this beat is honestly just how impossible it is to account for all the people involved or affected by the drug war. I mean, the drug trade is a global industry. And to understand it and the case against Chapo, we have to meet some of the other people involved. We have to meet other drug traffickers, cartel hitmen, and farmers who grow the poppies that get made into heroin. We need to meet the DEA agents who are trying to capture the kingpins. We need to meet journalists risking their lives to cover the story and people who have lost their family and friends. To tell these stories, we had to go to Mexico. And we knew that once we got there, we were going to need some help. Episode one, The Fixer. Oh, you guys, I was out for that flight. I was like, I, t- still that one. <laughs> I was intending to read and I got like, Kate? Yes. Hey, Hi. Kate. Hi. Good to see you. Keegan. Keegan. Nice to meet you, Galena. You guys ready to go? Yeah. Let's do it. Ah. There it is. Ah, Kate Kalor. And this is nothing. Yeah, this is actually, <laughs> you know, this is like the fresh hour. Really? Oh my god. Miguel Angel Vega is from Cuyacan, Sinaloa, the state in northwestern Mexico where El Chapo came up and where the Sinaloa cartel is based. Miguel's a reporter for a local newspaper called Rio Doce, which covers the drug trade, and he's been reporting on El Chapo for years. He also works as a fixer, which means he helps foreign journalists who come to Sinaloa. He gets them access to sources and provides context and background info. He helps them to get around and also just makes sure they stay safe. Over the last few years, Sinaloa has seen this huge surge in violence. So Miguel Angel is basically a producer, a location scout, a translator, a security detail, and a driver, all rolled into one. He's in his 40s with this really striking silver hair, but he has a young spirit. He loves baseball, and he's always wearing an L.A. Dodgers cap. He has this really casual way of talking, and he ends a lot of his sentences with dude and totally, bro. (laughs) That's so funny, bro. (laughs) So it's your first time in Culiacan, yo? Yes. Oh, yeah. How many people live in Culiacan? Over a million. Okay. But not all are narcos. <laughs> Shocking. <laughs> yeah. What's, what's the percentage? I know if I had to say a number about the people that are involved somehow uh, in uh, drug trafficking, I would say... 50,000? That's pretty low. 
<laughs> what do you mean it's pretty low? It's, I mean, it's a huge number. <laughs> it's, it's almost a municipality in the US. <laughs> yeah, that's a lot. How about how many people in some way rely on narco money? We all. <laughs> like in this case, somehow I'm doing it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because, yeah. because you're here because you want to learn about uh, this guy, the drug trafficking business, the people, everything else. So uh, somehow I'm, you know, making a profit out of it. At this point, my producer Kate and I have been talking with Miguel Angel for months, but we hadn't met until we got down here. And I've got to say, he's a total pro. He's patient. I mean, we're not the first people to show up reporting this kind of story. Do you get sick of the, the requests? Are they, do they like... I oh, do. Are, yeah? Thank no. you. Thank you for bringing it up. Yeah. Can you <laughs> talk about that? Like, talk about that. Like, what are the three things that people always want to say? Or they want to see, they want to see armed people. They want to see guns. They want to see drugs. And they want to see a cook so they can illustrate their stories. And, you, and by cook, you don't mean the guy who's like making your carne asada for dinner. Oh, come on. No, of course not. I'm talking about whoever is cooking dope or meth. Processing the heroin. Yeah, you want to see. Making the meth. Right. You want to see the real thing? I'm going to take you there. We get it. The Chapo beat is peak vice. People have literally made fun of us for this exact type of thing. Maybe you've seen it. This is Fred Armisen and Bill Hader spoof called Drones with a Z. And no group of filmmakers risk more than those at Drones, a consortium of participant journalists whose motto is balls to the walls. Basically, it's supposed to be two vice reporters running around Mexico looking for a fictional drug lord called El Chingon. The drug game is headed by the Salvez cartel, which is run by this man, El Chingon. We don't want to be a parody of ourselves while we're here, but one of the first things we asked Miguel Angel to do is introduce us to a heroin trafficker. He says outside. So we're walking out to meet this guy somewhere outside our hotel in Miguel Angel's car, perhaps. How you want to do this, seating-wise? The guy he finds doesn't belong to the Sinaloa cartel, but he does business with them. People tend to talk about Mexican cartels like monolithic entities. But the reality is a cartel is a whole bunch of different overlapping factions led by different people. They all have their own networks, and sometimes they work with independent traffickers, like this guy we're meeting. I, I explained what we're doing, and he doesn't want names. I'm going to call this guy Jesus. I know him through some people around Culiacan. He's a young guy, maybe in his late 30s. He's got a heavy build and a baby face. Honestly, I was prepared to be intimidated, but he's really easy to talk to. He talks about his kids a lot, how he likes to spoil them. He says he have Xbox, laptops, phones, tablets. He grew up poor, so that's way more than he ever had. It sounds like he spoils his kids. He's a 
He used to be a hitman for the Sinaloa cartel, which is sort of a typical entry-level cartel job. It's actually how Chapo started out back in the day. Yeah. Now he's more independent. He has this small crew of his own, and he traffics heroin to the U.S. Can you tell us, uh, how does this business work? How do you find where to buy it, and how do you get it to the United States? He's saying you just have to find people, family, friends, people on the street. It's really easy to get into the business in general. Some of my family, he says, a lot of them actually have met labs. Others work at the border watching cars across into the U.S. Others look after people here, like bodyguards for the big bosses. He says, I'm the only one in my family working with heroin. How does it sell from one point to the next to the next to when it gets to a city? Okay. So, from what he says, he buys a kilo of heroin here in Culiacán for like $20,000. Then he has to pay smugglers to get that kilo into the U.S., like shipping coast. That is about $8,000 more. The drugs cross the border through Tijuana or near Phoenix, then travel across the U.S. to different cities. Boston, Chicago, Nueva York, Los Angeles, Arizona. Then the shipment goes to his distributors who break it up into smaller packages and sell it off to various dealers in other locations. That kilo can go for around 60000 wholesale in the U.S. and a whole lot more when it's cut and sold in smaller amounts on the street. Now, to get his money back, he basically pays another fee, like a commission. And getting that money back, the profits from the U.S. sales, that's actually the hardest part. It's basically a handshake deal. Because if his guy in Chicago or New York or wherever doesn't send the money back, apparently there's not much Jesus can do about it from Khan, other than quit working with that guy. But if everything goes well, he's usually clearing about $120,000 a month. He does pretty well. I've been to his ranch outside the city. Like, he had this tiger and a croc. Also, he owns other businesses, like a restaurant, which he uses to launder the money he earns from trafficking. Is, is his, the way his business works like a small-scale version of the cartel? For now, he's getting away with that. Like he has to pay the commission to people along the chain, but he doesn't have to get permission from top guys. He does benefit, though, from their deals with the local cops. He says the police don't give them any trouble because the police also belong to the cartel. He says, though, that if his operation gets too big, then the cartel bosses will probably make him pay more of a tax. He's saying that when he was a little boy, he wanted to be the boss, have everything, money, luxury, houses, women. But once you get there, it's scary to be big because that's when people get killed or busted. He says he wants to keep things balanced, 
because he still wants to be able to go out and have a meal with family in a nice restaurant in peace. More responsibility means more risk. For now, he's able to keep a low profile. Is, is there like a course in your life in which you feel like you could have become? Yes, we all at some point. But I believe in destiny. I believe I wasn't in that path. I, I didn't choose to be in that path either. So my goal was not to become a, a drug lord or a hitman. Even though when I was uh, 12 years old, I used to speak with my classmates, my friends in the school, and their dream was like, you know, you know what I want to be? I want to become a drug lord because drug lords, they have the money, they have the power, they drive the, 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 the most beautiful cars, they have the most beautiful girls that were respected. So was there like a time you remember when you were a kid where you're like, oh damn, that guy, he's got, he's got money, he's, he's in it. Uh, back then, this guy, he used to live in this house and he has cars and everything and I go like, shit, can't believe this dude, he has everything. He lived like near you? Yeah, he lived like two blocks away. And, uh, but uh, he was killed maybe like three years after. <laughs> How many of the people that you grew up with ended up doing any type of drug trade? If you say that there was a, this was a dream, how many actually went to do that? I think maybe five or six of them. Successful. Two of them are dead, and the other are in jail. So there was no future. So we uh, went back to our hotel, and then we were about to eat dinner, and we got a call from Miguel Angel, and there's uh, been a murder, and we're taking a taxi to the crime scene. We're about 10 minutes away. The truth is, it feels weird to be rushing up to a random crime scene, but Cuyacan has the 12th highest murder rate of any city in the world. And the idea is to get a sense of what that's like on the ground. Oh, yeah. Most of these killings are blamed on cartels, kingpins like Chapo. And about 80% of murders go unsolved in Mexico. We get out of the car and it's this busy two-way street with a strip of grass down the middle, separating the lanes. There are lots of people gathered around, maybe 50 or 60. And the police are there, setting up crime scene tape and starting to mark where the shell casings fell. Hey. Was, uh, that, that's an execution. This guy was inside uh, this pickup 
Then uh, several gunmen arrive in another car, and they just kill him. So there's a, a silver Chevy extended cap pickup, and right in the driver's side window, there's like a very neat cluster of three bullet holes in the glass in the tinted windows. Uh, I mean, I haven't seen many of these, but it looks like whoever did this knew what they were doing. Did they get shot? In, he was sitting in the driver's seat when he got shot? Yeah, he's still there. The dead body's still there. Still in the car? Yeah. There are a bunch of kids in the crowd. This happened just down the street from where they go to school. They tell us they're not sure what happened, but killings like these are common. Like, they're very much used to it. I mean, to me, let me tell you this, this is a circus. They do all this scientific ceremony almost, and what for? Do they solve anything? They, maybe they want to show, you know, we do something, uh -huh. but that's not what it's all about. What it's about is getting resolved, re solving the crime, okay. you know, otherwise they're feeding impunity. They're just care carefully gathering the evidence so that it will sit and never be used to convict anyone. Yeah, they want to be an archive, the whole thing. So what's what's the point? And sometimes, like, you see all these people all around. Sometimes you wonder if the, uh, the killers came back to the crime scene and they're just checking out the place. Like seeing their... Yeah, like the guys the behind me. You see the guys? They look kind of suspicious. Yeah. So they always, that's always crossing my mind. What if the killers are here? Sometimes they come back and make sure they finish the job. So, Miguel Angel, you told us you became a journalist because you saw no future in the drug trade, but being a journalist does still put you right in the line of fire. It has happened again, just south of the U.S. border in the fierce fight between the drug cartels and the Mexican government. Another journalist has been killed, sending a chilling message about how journalists cover the dangerous and violent war on drugs. I mean, you're constantly on the edge of so much danger here. Yeah, to be honest, I think it's really dangerous to live here no matter what you do. But yeah, especially if you are a journalist. In Mexico, the government cannot, will not, does not protect journalists. The Committee to Protect Journalists says Mexico is the world's most dangerous country to be a reporter outside of an active war zone. I would say Mexico is a war zone. That there are many places, including Sinaloa, where a war is going on. And Mexican reporters are not off limits. Like here at my paper, Rio Doce, some really bad shit happened, and we don't feel safe. And that's why I don't live in Culiacan full-time anymore. I just come back when I need to work. It's risky for everyone, even the guys who seem to have things under control, like Jesus, the dealer I introduced you to, he's not doing very well. He got himself into this situation where he was desperate for money. 
because a shipment of drugs got confiscated at the border. So he asked the cartel to sell him more heroin, but this time on credit. And he told me the dope got to his client in the U.S., but that guy didn't pay him. And he still owes that money to the cartel. Which means they're going to come looking for him. Yeah, so this guy freaks out and starts selling everything he has, cars, houses, jewelry. You have to keep in mind, his kids and his family don't know he's a trafficker. And all that stuff he sold is not enough. He still owes money. At this point, it's almost half a million dollars. And I think he's totally fucked. I talked to him the other day, and he said he's really worried. He's still hanging in there, but he thinks the cartel is going to kill him. place is beautiful. Next time, we head to El Chapo's hometown. Can you put it down this thing? Oh, I'm sorry. Let's keep rolling, though. Okay. There's a checkpoint with uh, four armed men. Look like they have automatic weapons and tactical vests. And they're just making sure that whoever wants to pass through this road isn't here to cause problems. Yeah, this is this, uh, well, obviously, they're not vigilantes. They are like, you know, they belong to a clan. Maybe, maybe uh, for sure, it's uh, El Chapo, you know? Like, they stop that man. They're asking who you are, what are you doing here? And they're going to do the same with us. Just a heads up, there's another version of this podcast, and it's all in Spanish. So for those of you who are bilingual or for your friends and family who are Spanish speakers, please share. That version is called El Chapo, El Jefe y Su Juicio, and it's also available on Spotify. It's really good, made by an amazing team at Adonde Media. Please check it out. Also, for more on El Chapo, his trial, and the drug war, visit vicenews.com. Secret to summer ready skin is here. Osea's number one best selling Andaria algae body oil, clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity and transform dry skin to silky, soft, and unbelievably glowing. Its signature scent of freshly squeezed grapefruit, cypress, and mango mandarin transports you to sun kissed summer days. Get healthy, glowing skin for summer with clean vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site wide with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com.